Thank you, Brother Ben. And appreciate it, Brother Roger, leading us in good prayer. For the Bible study part of our worship this morning, we're going to focus on tender affection. Tender affection. From the general ideal of being unified as God's people, we want to study tender affection. Our faith in Christ brings us together. 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. So our faith in Christ brings us together. Truth and love keep us together. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 15, we speak the truth in love. I just want to talk with you a minute or two about one part of that which keeps us together, and that is love. And more specific, specifically, love in the sense of tender affection. Tender affection. Before we get into our lesson, the question is this. Is it possible? Is it possible for us to have tender affection as God would want us to have? On the one hand, of course, we're going to say yes, because God commands it. And God brings it to us. So definitely, since we know that God is not unreasonable, we would say, yes, it's possible. But on the other hand, when we think about the mindset of the world, of society, sometimes it seems impossible. In our world, is it possible? In our results-oriented success-driven, it's business, not personal world, is it possible? Because the world's way of doing and thinking has a way of coming into our minds as well. So, is it possible from that sense? And I'll let you answer that, but here's what we can do. We can see how the Bible describes tender affection okay so tender affection first is a family sort of love Romans 12 verse 10 please underline this in your Bible Romans 12:10 tells us that this sort of love is a family love it says there in love of the brethren be tenderly affectioned one to another. Okay, there's two words for love there. There's one that we call Philadelphia love. It's the love of the, of the brethren. But then he adds another word there, tender affection. Tender affection there, or kindly affection, means love of your kindred, love of your family. Paul is saying that we are to regard one another 
our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to regard one another as just that, as family. In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. Other passages support this idea of family love. For example, in Hebrews 13 verse 1, let brotherly love continue. You see that? Family love. Let brotherly love continue. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 7, as Peter is he's discussing qualities that need to be added to our faith. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. Get down to verse 7, he says, add this. Brotherly love. Brotherly affection. And again and again, we could just, we could go here and there. It, it would be difficult to read very far in any book of the Bible without reading how God wants us to have brotherly affection one to another. Matt was reading earlier before Bible class from John 15, verse 17. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 8, he says, Do not owe any man anything except this, to love one another. I especially like this one here, if you want to read it with me, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. It really brings in the idea of family love. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Peter writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, and have a humble mind. And we just let Peter explain himself. We just let God explain himself. So we first say that this tender affection is a family love. I heard a story by Leroy Brownlow one time. He was telling this story about a, a man walking by and another man, very poor, approached him for something, some money or something to eat. And the man turned and took his hand and he said, he said, brother, I don't have anything on me today. I'm sorry. And the poor man responded and said, you call me brother. That in itself is a great gift. I wonder, do we regard God's spiritual family, our own spiritual family, do we regard it very highly? Do we regard each other with a tender affection? We know that the Apostle Paul did. When Paul would work with someone, when he would be a mentor to someone, when he would help someone come to Christ, he called them his child. He, he does this with Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. He says, I'm writing this to my true child in the faith. He says the same thing in regard to Titus, Titus 1 verse 4. He says, Titus is my true child after a common faith. When Paul had worked with Onesimus and was ascending Onesimus back home to Philemon, Philemon verse 10, he says, Look, he has become my child. He's become my child in the faith. Okay. That's how Paul looked at it. See? 
In fact, he instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, the people at church, those men who are older than you, regard them as your fathers. Those women who are older than you, regard them as your mothers. Those ladies who are next to you, regard them as your sisters. And your, and your brothers, regard them as your brothers. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 there. That's in, in God's mind, in Paul's mind, in Peter's mind, John's mind, this is the way it is. Is this the way it is with us? One of John's favorite words is the word beloved. Beloved. I wonder if he remembers what God said from the sky on the Mount of Transfiguration or at Jesus' baptism. When God spoke, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And John would often call his brothers and sisters beloved. For example, in 1 John 4 and verse 7, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he that loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God and is not born of God, for God is love. But he regards them as his beloved. So first, it's a family love. Most of us in our little physical families, there's not much we wouldn't do for our physical families. Most of us would go to the ends of the earth if we felt like we needed to for our physical families. All God is saying is, that's fine and dandy, but you've got to have the capacity to do that very same thing for your spiritual family. Also, in the second place this morning, this tender affection. It's a Christ-like love. And I'm going to be looking with you to Philippians 1, 7, and 8. But it's a Christ-like love. Paul expresses his feelings for the church in Philippi in Philippians 1, 7, and 8. And he says, I, I love you with the tender mercies of Christ. I look to you with the tender mercies of Christ. In other words, I love you as much as I can like Christ loves you. Jesus had taught his disciples. Now, the Apostle Paul was not following Jesus when Jesus was on earth. But he learned it anyway. Jesus taught his disciples, John 13, 34, and 35. He says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And Paul picked up on this too, because as Paul himself says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, when you, when you see me, you see Christ living in me. Okay. It's not I, no longer I that lives, it's Christ is living in me. And so when you saw Paul, you saw the love of Christ. You see Christ. And Paul says, now going back to Philippians 1, 7, and 8, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And if you're wondering, well, how do you love like Christ? This is how you do it. You hold the brethren in your heart very dangerous thing because you will get hurt. But this is what we do. And Paul says, I hold you in my heart. And then when you, when you just scan over the whole chapter of Philippians 1, 
you can tell he holds them in his heart because he says in verses 3 and 4, I'm constantly praying for you. In verse 5, he says, you're my partners in the gospel. And in verses 9 through 11, he says, my desire is you'll be blameless on the day of judgment. I want you to be saved. Yes, he holds them in his heart. And that's the secret to beginning to love like Christ is the brethren never leave your heart. Paul says a similar thing in 2 Corinthians 7, 2 and 3. He's asking the Corinthian brethren to hold him in their heart because he holds them in his heart. And he says to them in 2 Corinthians 7, 2 and 3, he says, I have not wronged you. I have not corrupted you. I have not led you astray. What does he mean? He says, I've just simply brought you the truth. Here's a verse for you to underline. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Here's what Paul means. When Paul says, I've not corrupted you, I've not wronged you, here's what he means, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. He says, we do not tamper with the word of God, but by open statement of the truth, we appeal to your conscience in the sight of God. Guys, if you ever just want one verse to say, what are we about? This is it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. We do not tamper with the word of God, but by open statement of the truth, we appeal to your conscience. We're not forcing this on anybody. We don't have the capacity, to, but we're going to appeal to your conscience. Not, not with our personality, not, not with our lives necessarily, but with the truth. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. All held them in his heart. In the old times on, on a farm, there would always be a, a spring of water. Naturally, what came out of that spring of water was what went in it. The spring of water was used for various functions on the farm, including you know, washing utensils or washing clothes. What went in that water, whether it was mud or whether it was soap suds, would come out of that water. What is in our heart will come out in life. So it's a family love, but it's also this tender affection is also a Christ-like love. And then also, in the next place, it's a sacrificial love for sure. And I'm quick to say, it means that you're willing to put your heart and your life on the line for your brothers and sisters. Going back to the book of Philemon for a minute, Paul is appealing. He's making a grand appeal. He has, he's in Rome. He's in prison. He has run into a, a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus has run away from Philemon in Colossae. And, but Paul's able to teach the gospel to Onesimus. And now he's sending him back home to Philemon, urging Philemon to receive him now, not just as an employee, but as a brother in Christ, which should make all the difference. And Paul said this, verse 12. He says, I'm sending him back to you, yes, my very heart. In sending him back to you, I'm sending my very heart home to you. Philemon. In verse 17, he says, please receive him as you would receive me. Paul knew the family of Philemon very, very well. 
He says, receive him as you would. Why is Paul sticking his neck out for this Onesimus? This Onesimus who has had a pretty rough road, why is Paul sticking his neck out for such a young man? Because simply, his Lord had said, love one another. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 22, seeing then that you have obeyed the truth unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that, see to it, that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. It's just that easy for Paul. He's going to stick his neck out for Onesimus because that's what his Lord would have him to do. We love sacrificially, and what I mean by that is we're willing to put our, our very reputation, our very heart, on the line for the brethren. And not just here, in Philippians 2, 17, Paul says, if it means the sacrifice of my life for the sake of your faith, I will rejoice in that, and yea, I will rejoice. Philippians 2, 17. He actually said that. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent for your soul. You say, well, I would do that for a brother. Well, that's not the issue. That's not. See where... See where See the directions that Paul is going here? He's saying, you brethren in Corinth, I'll put myself on the line for you. You brethren in Colossae, I'll put myself on the line for you. You brethren in Philippi, I'll put myself on the line for you. It's not just about I would do that for a brother. Wouldn't you do it for any brother and every brother? Sacrificial love. This tender affection we're talking about here is not just a sacrificial love. It's also a trusting love. A trusting love. You, like me, I know you love to read through the Gospel of John. John refers to himself in a very peculiar way in his book. He often refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. When they were participating in that final Passover meal, John 13, 23, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. When John records that he and Peter went to the tomb on the first day of the week, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. One thing that stands out is right there at the foot of the cross, there was John, John 19, 26. There's John, there's the mother of Jesus. And Jesus looked to his mother and said, Behold your son. And then he looked to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He looked to John and said, Behold your mother. We can tell right away there was an incredible bond between the Apostle John and Jesus. Not just a bond, a trusting love. I'm going to entrust my mother to you. From this point on, my brother John. It's a trusting love. There's a peculiar uh, proverb, Proverbs uh, 25 and 19. Proverbs 25, 19. 
And knowing my mind, it also, it might just be 1925. But I'll let, I, I think it's 2519. But it says something like this. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. All of us have had a bad tooth every once in a while. And you, what you do when you try to eat or drink, you try to... You try to eat or drink out of the side of the mouth where that bad tooth is not. A broken tooth, bad tooth, or a foot out of joint is something that just um, creates a huge obstacle in our life. And so the same thing, if you can't trust, if you can't have a trusting love, then God is very displeased. And in practically... Uh, things were not going to go well. Three big things about trust. First, there has to be complete honesty. Secondly, there has to be sacred honor. And then third, there's got to be unselfish love. And so, what we're talking about here, when we think about tender affection, we're talking about a trusting love. And then we hasten to the next idea, and we're also talking here about a love that's unbreakable. 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 Let me just mention one place here. Psalm 133, verse 1. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Most scholars feel that that psalm is written in in relation to how things went for the Jewish people under the Old Testament law. The Jews lived here and there throughout the different tribes and they would come together for three feasts in the year, all come to one spot three times a year, three main times in the year. And what he's saying here is, in spite of being separated by time and distance, Nonetheless, they dwelt together in unity. Though they may be separate physically, they were together in spirit. And when we have tender affection, then neither time nor distance is going to break that bond. And you'll want to read, we won't have time to really examine it closely, but you'll want to reference Colossians 2, 1 through 5, where Paul emphasizes this idea with his brethren there. He says, I would love to see you face to face. I'm longing to see you face to face. But I can't do that right now. He's in prison. But he hopes to one day. But he says, though we are absent physically, yet we are together in spirit. 
It's an, this tender affection is an unbreakable type of love. Okay. And for us, this means that God expects us to go day by day. Not that we necessarily need to be together every day. We can't be together every day. God expects us to go out into life every day and carry out our responsibilities. And while we do that here and there, we're to be shining the light for Jesus, but also we know and we remember that we have an unbreakable unity with our brethren, wherever they may be. And finally, as we think about this tender affection, I want to mention it's a heartfelt love. So we just kind of try to move along in our conversation this morning to see that this is family love, it's a Christ-like love, it's certainly a sacrificial love, it is certainly a trusting love, an unbreakable love, but maybe this is the most important, this may be where it's most difficult, it's a heartfelt love, it's, a, it's an affection that pulls at the strings of your heart, and to know this, all you got to do is follow the tears in the Bible. In John 11, Jesus come to visit the family who had lost Lazarus. They lost their brother. John 11:35 says, Jesus wept. And then those standing around commented and said, Oh, how he loved him. And Jesus did. He loved Lazarus. And through his tears, people could see his love. Think about Genesis and Joseph. And I'm just, I, we don't have the time, but I can make reference to it and you can follow, follow it up with your own Bible reading. You remember when Joseph's brothers came to Egypt because of the famine, Genesis 42, when he first saw his brothers, he he didn't trust them at all, and so he didn't talk to them in a very affectionate way. He was trying to test them, but he heard them. They didn't know he was hearing them, but he heard them say, you know, this is all happening to us because of how we treated our brother years ago. The guilt of how they had treated Joseph was still on their hearts, and Joseph had to, after he heard them talking about that, he had to go find a place to weep. Eventually he tells them, look, we're not going to discuss much more until I have my younger brother Benjamin here, so you need to go home and get him. Next chapter, Genesis 43, they have brought, finally brought Benjamin back, and when he saw Benjamin, he had to hurry out of the room to find a place to weep. Finally, as he keeps testing his brethren, testing his brethren, gets down to Genesis 45, he decides because he's heard Judah say two or three times now that Judah would, would be glad to stand in the place for the safety of his brother Benjamin. And by hearing that, Joseph has, has, uh, has concluded that his brothers have indeed changed their hearts. And so in Genesis 45, he reveals himself to his brethren. And the crying and the tears were so loud that, that Pharaoh's house heard it. Everybody in and Egypt was hearing their crying and wondering what is going on. 
Genesis 45, he comes to his brother. His mother's, his mother's other son, Benjamin. And he falls upon the neck of Benjamin. And they weep. And finally he reveals himself to his brothers and he says, you've got to go home and get my father. We're going to set up a place for all of you to live here in Goshen, Genesis 46 and 29. Joseph, can you imagine Joseph had been sold and forgotten and accused and abused. And in his mind, his family was gone. And in his daddy's mind, he lost his son. Can you imagine? And in your Bibles in Genesis 46 and 29 and 30, you need to mark this. He presented himself before his dad and then fell on his neck and they wept for a long, good while. That's what man says. For a good, long while they wept. Of course they would. My question is, can that kind of tender affection occur between brethren today? I leave you with this reading, Acts chapter 20. Paul with the elders of the church in Ephesus, Acts 20, and begin verse 36. And after we read this, we will extend the Lord's invitation. We invite anyone to come home to the God who loves you, the God who, who demands this sort of tender affection. We serve Him because He loves us greater than we could ever love him or ourselves. But we, we read Acts 20, 36. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see They would not see him again. And they accompanied him, accompanied him to the ship. I think our invitation song will ask, are we prepared to meet our Lord? Stories told of Sir... Raleigh, who got executed, beheaded, and as they're headed to the executioner's block, the executioner, executioner asked Sir Raleigh, he said, um, which way would you like for your head to lay? And he responded and said, it matters not 
the way your head lays as long as your heart is right. And this is what this morning's ideal has been, is to see the kind of heart God would want us to have. Let's all stand and sing.